Well, if you've been with us for the last couple of months, you know that we've been walking through the book of Galatians exegetically or expositionally. And what we seek to do in that time is to get at the authorial intent or the main idea of the text, because we believe that the meaning of the scripture lies at the author's intent. And so we think when we can get at that meaning, we can see how this text was significant both to its original audience and then to ourselves as well. And so that's what we're going to seek to do this morning is to read the word and then give the sense of it. It's going to be a little bit different this morning. Typically we go verse by verse, but we're going to kind of take all all three verses, verses 6 through 9, and then we're going to go to the book of Genesis to kind of understand Paul's argument because he's going to point to the life of Abraham. And so to understand his argument, we're going to need to understand a little bit about who Abraham was and what he did. So, if you were with us last week, you saw that this is all part of Paul's big argument. The first two chapters can kind of be summarized in Paul saying, I am a legitimate, authoritative apostle. And the gospel that I preach is the one true gospel from the one true God. And so he feels like he succeeded at defending his apostleship. I do too. And then in verses 15 through 21, at the end of chapter 2, he says that justification is by faith alone, not by works. Right? He says not by works three times. Not by works, not by works, not by works. He says, but by faith, by faith, by faith, that is how justification or salvation will come, not only to the Gentiles, not only to the Galatians, not only to all nations, not only to the Jews, but everyone, everywhere. That's God's plan of salvation, and that's Paul's thesis or his argument, if you will. And so last week, he started to support this argument by appealing to uh, experience, the experience of Galatians. And so we talked about remembering our conversion. We talked about the Galatians remembering their conversion, that they had begun with the Spirit and that they would be perfected by the Spirit. This week, Paul's going to make the argument from Scripture now. So he he appealed to their experience. He said, this is what you know to be true, how you've experienced Jesus Christ in your life. And now we're going to look back to the Old Testament to see how God is going to argue for this from the very beginning in Scripture. So my main idea of the text this morning as we get started is, Those that believe God are children of Abraham. Again, those that believe God are children of Abraham. And they've received the blessing of Abraham. My exhortation to you this morning is going to be simple. Be like Abraham. Be a chip off the old block. Believe. You know, in the early 1990s, when Michael Jordan was first coming on the scene, he was becoming a cultural icon. I'm sure you know who Michael Jordan is, right? Really good basketball player. Gatorade did this brilliant commercial. And they've got Michael Jordan playing basketball with all these kids. And there's this fun theme playing in the background. It's, if I could be like Mike. And it's like, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. And then the screen goes black. And it says, be like Mike. Drink Gatorade. <laughs> Woo! That's kind of what I want your mindset to be this morning. Be like Abraham. Believe. Now, some context is important to understand our section today. The Judaizers are these people that are in Galatia. They're false teachers, and they've kind of infiltrated, and they've led the Galatians astray. You see, they've told them that believing in Jesus for salvation isn't enough. We need to go beyond that. We need to add some things to our faith in Christ in order to truly be saved, to truly be perfected. Primarily, circumcision. You need to be circumcised to be a Jew. Not only circumcision, but 
you have to keep all of the Mosaic Code. So like all the clean laws, everything that they've done for forever, you need to continue to do in order to earn your salvation. You need to work towards your salvation, which Paul's saying, no, 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 no. See, the Judaizers kind of have this mathematical formula. They're saying Jesus plus the law equals perfect salvation. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Not by works, but by faith. So these same Judaizers, they're promoting circumcision, and they have no doubt appealed to Abraham. Now, Abraham is considered the father of the Jews. Perhaps if you went to a vacation Bible school or you grew up in the church, you know an old song. Father Abraham had many sons. I kind of, yeah, I expected y'all there. Some of y'all missed your moment there. That was your time. <laughs> Be ready if it comes up later on. That's your time to shine, right? Like, and many sons had Father Abraham. So he's very famous in the Bible. He's a monumental figure. And so the Judaizers had appealed. They said, see, Abraham, who is our father, who's obviously included in this covenant... He was circumcised. Therefore, to truly be in Christ, to truly be saved, to truly be counted as the people of God or sons and daughters of Abraham, you need to be circumcised as well as believe in Jesus. Paul is showing us that that's not true. And so his first verse, in verse 6, he says this, Just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is going to refer to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. He's quoting it almost verbatim. This Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. Paul is showing something here. He wants to show us that before Abraham is in the covenant of circumcision... He's counted as righteous, simply based on his belief of God. I want you to notice something here. It doesn't say that Abraham believed in God, but that Abraham believed God. It might seem just a simple preposition, but it's monumentally important. Because believing in God, that doesn't get you anywhere. Intellectual assent to the the existence of the almighty deity of the universe gets you nowhere. Indeed, the book of James tells us that even the demons believe and they shudder. So believing in God is not enough to have peace with God. To have peace with God, we must believe God like Abraham did. The word that Paul uses here and the word that um, Genesis used means to be declared or accounted. It's a forensic or legal term. Remember, it's right along those lines of justification. We talked about the word justified last week. It means to be counted righteous. The term usually refers to money being exchanged or received or counted as payments towards some end. You maybe would recognize the English term credited, which simply means to confer a status upon something that was not there before. To confer a status upon something that was not there before. Recently, I had my internet hooked up next door. And I don't know if you've been through that process where you try to get your internet or your TV hooked up, but it can sometimes be pretty arduous, a pretty complicated task. And so I was on the phone for many, many hours. By the end of the conversation with the lady, obviously I'd lost my patience. It wasn't a very sanctified time for me. I wasn't being very godly. Um, I'm leaving that part out. That's for another day. But uh, 
I did. I had to do some repenting. However, at the end of the conversation, the, the lady on the line said, Sir, we're so sorry for your inconvenience. Let us, let us credit $50 to your account. You know what she did was she conferred a status upon my account, which it didn't have previously. My account was $50 richer, even though I hadn't put any money in there. It was credited to my account. In the same way, Abraham is credited as righteous. Douglas Moo puts it this way. The crediting of Abram's faith as righteousness means to account to him a righteousness that does not inherently belong to him. God is granting him a legal or forensic status that treats him as if he were actually righteous and free from condemnation, even though he's still actually a sinner. Y'all see that? In and of himself, Abraham is still a sinner, but God has declared that Abraham is righteous because he has believed God. Paul clarifies this point in Galatians for us later on in verse 17. He says, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So you see, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and then he's circumcised later on. And then the law that the Judaizers are appealing to comes along. Paul's point here is that Abraham is counted as righteous by his faith, by his belief, not by his actions. Paul's pointing out that Jewishness, that circumcision, that works of the law, don't make you a child of God. It doesn't. Same for you. Your works, the things that you do, your own righteousness, it does not make you a child of God. I'm sorry. Only belief. Biology, physiology, the color of your skin counts for nothing. But indeed, the gospel is extended to all nations, all people, black, white, Asian, everyone, everywhere. God is taking Abraham, a pagan, by the way, and starting the Jewish nation. And he's going to bless Abraham. He's going to bless all nations through Abraham. And it was his plan from the very beginning to include all peoples. And that's what Paul's going to say in um, verse 8 of chapter 3 of Galatians. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. See, Paul initially went to Genesis 15 to say Abraham is in covenant with God, and now he's going to interpret... I'm sorry, he went to Genesis 15. And now he's going to interpret Genesis 12 in light of Genesis 15. Y'all tracking? That's a little, it's a little crazy, right? Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go chapter 15, where he credits him righteous. Chapter 12, just the first three verses of chapter 12. Then we're going to go back to 15. All right? I'm going to narrate 15 through 21 for you of Genesis. We're going to walk through verse by verse through Genesis 22. We're going to go back to Genesis 15. And then we're going to go back to Galatians. Lots of work this morning, right? If you want to flip to all that and try to keep up, all right, I'll, I'll let you. But if you want to just listen, that's okay. Two, 
So he told us in Genesis 15 that Abraham is credited as righteous. And now he's referring to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, saying the Scripture preached beforehand the gospel to Abraham, that all nations would be blessed in him. And guess what? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, notice he's not Abraham yet, but he's Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you, I will curse. By you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham hears the voice of God, and he obeys, and he goes from the land. He believes that God is going to bless him in all families, all nations of the earth. Again, it's not biology, it's not works, it's not circumcision. There's nothing in and of yourself that you can do to inherit peace with God or the blessing of Abraham. But believe, as Abraham does here. He hears God, and he believes him. Very simple question this morning. Do you believe God? Or do you simply believe in God. Abraham believes God. Then we get back to Genesis chapter 15. Verse 1. Well, Abraham's starting to doubt a little bit here, right? Listen to, listen to, how, listen to Abraham's doubt. See if you can catch it. It's verse 1 of Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abraham is kind of doubting, but he's still going before the Lord. He's asking, you're supposed to bless me, and I'm supposed to bless all nations. But I don't have any kids, so how exactly is that going to work out? And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. This man shall not be your heir. That's Eliezer of Damascus. Your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought Abraham outside. And he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able. So shall your offspring be. And here's verse 6. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham, even though he's pretty old, and he remains childless, is doubting. And he's believing in the midst of that doubt. He believes what God is saying to him. Friends, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to struggle through some things in this life. But I want to encourage you or exhort you To be like Abraham in those times. To believe God in the midst of doubt, in the midst of suffering. So I'm going to start narrating at this point, just kind of walking you through the text. What happens next is God says to Abraham, man, you've believed and he's counted it to him as righteousness. And so he says, we're going to enter into a covenant. And so God has Abraham get a cow, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And he has him cut the animals in half. And spread them apart. Now, this sounds a little weird, right? Some of you that maybe haven't come to church are like, wow, this is a little weird. They're cutting animals in half. There's some sacrifice going on. This is awkward. Um, Not always like this, but it's important to understand the text, right? 
So what's going on here is a ritual that involves a self-curse if not fulfilled. See, the idea is that the two parties that are going to enter into this covenant together are going to walk down the middle of the animal house. And what they're saying there, what they're proclaiming there, is that if I fail to keep my word, I should end up like one of these animals. Torn and ripped apart. Notice what happens next is that um, the sun starts to go down. The animals are cut in half. It's, it's like ritual time. And God causes Abraham to fall asleep. Only God passes between the animal halves. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. God will indeed keep his promise to Abraham, that covenant promise that he made. Not based on Abraham's works or his performance. Notice Abraham didn't pass through the animal pieces because the Lord knew that Abraham would fail to keep up his end of the bargain. Just like he knows that you and I fail to keep up our end of the bargain. That he, the great promise keeper, is the one that will bless us. That indeed the blessing of Abraham comes not by our performance but by the promise of God. Let's continue to survey Abram's life. God has told him, I'm going to give you a son. He's entered into covenant with Abraham. He's counted him as righteous. And now, Abram's kind of waiting for this son to show up, is what's going on in these next few chapters. Some other stuff happens, but you can read that on your own. Uh, And eventually, uh, God enters into this covenant of circumcision with Abram in chapter 17. He says to him, Abram, your name is no longer going to be Abram, but Abraham, and that's where we get Father Abraham from, he becomes Abraham, and he says, we're going to enter into this covenant of circumcision, it's going to serve as a seal, it's going to kind of seal the deal between us, even though the covenant's already been made in chapter 15, right, the promise has already been made, and now he's sealing that promise with the covenant of circumcision. And then, all the way down in chapter 17, verse 15, God says to Abraham, as for your wife Sarai, You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Look at Abraham's response here, verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed. And he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Chapter 18, Sarah, when she hears, responds in a similar way. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of a woman had ceased to be with Sarah. And so she laughed, saying to herself, After I am worn now, after my Lord is old, shall I have the pleasure? Shall I bear children? Both of them are they're getting kind of up there. They're well-seasoned, advanced in years. And they're kind of going, God, there is no way that we're going to have a child. Yet Abraham still believes. And eventually, God makes good on his promise. Isaac is born. Isaac's name actually means son of laughter. And so, to recap, God tells Abraham, I am going to bless you and all families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. God makes covenant with Abraham. 
because Abraham has believed him and has been counted righteous. He asks, how am I going to have a son? God says, it's going to be, you're having a son from your own house. It's going to happen. And then he enters into the covenant of circumcision with Abraham to kind of seal the deal. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham and his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. And Isaac is born, the son of promise, the son through whom the blessing of all nations is going to happen. Which brings us to one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. It is likely that you are very familiar with the the verses that we're going to read through. But what I want to challenge you to do is to see it with fresh eyes. Pretend like you're watching The Sixth Sense for the first time and you don't know that Bruce Willis is dead at the end. That there's going to be a real aha moment. See it for the first time. Genesis chapter 22. Verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. And God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll show you. Isaac, the son of promise. Abraham's only son, the son through which God is supposed to keep his promises to bless all nations, is required as a child sacrifice. God is telling Abraham, offer your son. Imagine being in Abraham's shoes. What would you think? Well, child sacrifice isn't actually that out of the ordinary based on these cultic religions that are surrounding Abraham. Granted, it's still going to tear him apart inside to sacrifice a child. But these pagan religions, the god Chemosh, for instance, they require child sacrifice all the time to appease them. So Abraham, while he is likely very burdened with having to sacrifice his child, goes, well, this is kind of normal. This god must be just like the cultic gods. But soon he'll find out, God is not like those other gods. But look at how Abram responds when he's told to offer his son. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Abraham gets up early the next day, and with his own hands cuts the wood upon which his son will be killed. He gets his men, he saddles his donkey, and he starts walking to the place that God has showed him. Three days. Three days, Abraham and Isaac march toward the mountain. Three days, he must have struggled internally with the question, how will God bless the nations? He was marching his son towards his own death. Three days, Abraham continued to walk in obedience toward the mountain. Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham doesn't know how, but he believes that he and Isaac are coming down the mountain alive. He believes God. 
verse 6. And Abram took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, My father? And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. And Isaac asked, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said to him, God will provide for himself the lamb for an offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place which God had told him, Abram built the altar there. And he laid the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his only son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. How heavy must Abraham's heart have been as he built that altar, as he stacked the wood piece by piece. How heavy his hands must have felt as he tied his son Isaac and lay him atop the wood to die. How heavy his own words must have weighed in his thoughts. God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself the lamb. The boy and I will come down the mountain. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. The sharp point of the knife was at the ready, ready to pierce the flesh of his beloved son. And just as Abraham is ready to plunge the knife downward, an angel of the Lord calls out to him and he says, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mounts of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, many people, when they read this particular portion of Scripture, they often see Isaac as a type of Christ, right? Kind of foreshadowing Jesus going to the cross and, and bearing the burden of sin, right? And that's, a, that's a, a valid interpretation, I think. However, I think if we, if we look closer at the text we're going to see something a little bit different about God. We're going to see two things that, that I want to bring out. The first is that as, as Abraham is ready to sacrifice his child, God is saying to him when he, when he steps in, I'm not like these other gods. I'm not going to require you to sacrifice your son. And secondly, I don't think Jesus is Isaac in this, in this narrative if we're to find Jesus. I think Jesus is the ram. You see, because Isaac doesn't die. In the same way that you and I, we do have a burden, just as Isaac carried a burden. And that burden is our sin, our unrighteousness. It's an unrighteousness that makes us guilty before a perfectly holy God. Sin that requires death. See, what happens is, is Isaac doesn't die, but instead, the ram serves as his substitute. See, Isaac deserved to die. 
but the ram took his place and died for him. Jesus is the ram. He is the substitute for you and I. He dies in our place for our sins. You see, there's a reason in Genesis chapter 15 that Abraham falls asleep and only God walks through the covenant because he knows Abraham will not be able to perform up to the standard of keeping the covenant. He knows that Abraham will fail. He knows that Abraham will continue to sin. My friends, we will continue to sin and God knows this. But you see, God still walks between the animal pieces. If you remember that ritual, it's a self-curse. If I don't keep my word, let me be torn and ripped apart as these animals are. The irony here is is that God is the good covenant keeper. He keeps the covenant perfectly. Yet He is torn and ripped apart. He is beaten and He is spat upon. He is slaughtered. He is sacrificed as the ram in our place. As our substitute. God is not like the false gods of this world. Requiring sacrifice. No, He becomes a sacrifice for us. So that just as Abraham is counted righteous by believing God, he looks forward to Jesus Christ as portrayed as crucified. And the Galatians look back to Christ as crucified. And we look back to Christ as crucified. Paul is able to write in Galatians chapter 3, verse 9, so that those who are men or women of faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. See, the inheritance doesn't come by the law but by promise. So that those who are men of faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. This might cause you to ask, what is that blessing of Abraham that we receive? Well, friends, it's a new heart. It's a new land, a new heavens, a new earth, a new body. It's fellowship together with God. It is God Himself. You see, God is the gospel. God is the good news. That's the good news is that when you believe God, you get God. You get right relationship with God instead of the wrath that you earned. See, salvation is by faith, not by performance, but by the promise of God. Let me ask you this morning. Are you like Abraham? Are you a chip off the old block? Do you have faith? Do you believe God? Non-Christian, I want to let you know this morning, it's never too late to believe God. To move your faith from faith in yourself to faith in Christ. Will you believe Jesus this morning? Christian, I hope that these verses stir your affections. That they remind you of the sweetness of knowing Jesus Christ. Not only crucified, but resurrected. These verses should summon you to evangelistic action. So that all nations indeed could be blessed by this promise made to Abraham and the promise that's made to you and me. How then can they hear if all you will do is sit on your hands and close your lips? How will you commit to give your prayers, your time, your money, your very life to making Jesus known?
Abraham shows us that if Jesus calls us to die, then die. Shows us that following Jesus will likely cost us everything. It will definitely cost you something. But everything is worthless compared to the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus Christ. Christian, how do you need to die to yourself this morning? How do you need to follow Jesus? Will you believe God? Will you be a child of Abraham? Would you pray with me as we prepare to come and sing our hymn of response this morning? God, we thank you that you are faithful when we are faithless. We thank you that you lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died and rose again in newness of life that by placing our faith in you, we might have peace when all that we have earned is war. God, we thank you that we are more sinful than we ever dared believe. But in Jesus Christ, we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. We thank you for your goodness and for your mercy and for your love and for your faithfulness. We thank you that you have united us together in Christ and that you've allowed us to love you and the great privilege of loving one another as we love you and sing your praises. Lord, shake us with your glory this morning. Let our fragile lives give way to you. Help us to no longer build the meaning of our lives on these sinful things, on these empty things, on money or sex, on these empty treasures. But let us build our lives on Christ alone. For it is in him alone that we will have peace and life, life abundant, true joy, and true satisfaction. God, we sing these praises to you this morning. Amen.